0: Good afternoon, good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please open up your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59, and I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we look to our text uh, this afternoon. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59 will be found in the New Testament towards the back of your Bibles around page 891. A happy Labor Day weekend. Happy Labor Day weekend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you respond rightly to that. So. <laughs> Not your fault. Uh, Labor Day has been a national holiday for over the past hundred years in America, and it's an annual celebration and recognition of the American labor force's hard work. Americans commemorate a Labor Day weekend with parades, picnics, and barbecue parties, enjoying their time with their family and their friends, uh, some outdoor fun in the sun before the weather turns uh, to the fall season. So certainly for hardworking Americans, a long, enjoyable weekend is certainly well-deserved. But let me ask you a question uh, this afternoon. When is the last time you paused to ponder the relationship between your life and your labors? Your life and your labors. In other words, how does your work define your life? Or even the other way around, what does your life show about how you view and value your work? In 1956, a commemorative Labor Day stamp was issued with a picture of a strong man holding a sledgehammer over his shoulders. His wife is seated by his side with a book in her lap showing a small child how to read. And in the left, uh, lower left-hand uh, corner, large block words that says, Labor is life. The meaning is clear, isn't it? It was saying... Without industrious labor, there is no life, no means to feed, to clothes, to house, to educate your family or yourself. But ask yourself, is this truly the purpose of our work? To eat, to have a decent place, to sleep at night, to relax, to have some kids, raise some kids, send them to school, go on some vacations? Uh, save some money and retire. Is that the purpose of our work? Is that the purpose of our lives? Is that all there is to our lives? Even as Christians, examine yourself, examine your hearts, whether your work takes priority over your Christian identity. Are you more known for your occupation by others rather than as a Christian? It's a good question. To ponder upon as we delve into our text this afternoon. Because in our text, uh, Jesus teaches us important lessons about the relationship between labor and life, and how we ought to understand it in view of Christ as Christians. Uh, we are picking back up on our study in the Gospel of John in our series, In the Beginning Was the Word. So last fall, we begun a three-part series to the Gospel of John, Part 1, Signs. Part 2, Sayings, and Part 3, Sufferings and Glory, in order to explain the purpose of the book, which explicitly is stated for us in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So last fall, from September to December, we covered almost all of the first 12 chapters of John, focusing on the seven signs that shape those chapters. The signs, of course, are divine, miraculous works of Jesus, seven of them in in John's gospel, symbolizing God's uh, complete, perfect work of redemption in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, sent to us, in order that you and I would believe and have life in His name. Well, This fall, from September to December, we'll be focusing on the seven I Am sayings of Jesus and its relevant passages for us to know the all-important question of who Jesus is, who He claimed He was, who His disciples knew Him to be, and what that means for us. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. What is Jesus teaching us about himself in these passages? So to start us off from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59, I want to share with you four ways of how who Jesus is shapes our lives. Here's the outline so you know where we're headed. Point number one, from verses 22 through 29, Jesus is the food that redefines our work. Jesus is the food that redefines our work. From verses 30 through 40, Jesus is the new manna that reveals God's will. Jesus is the new manna that reveals God's will. Point number three, verses 41 through 51, Jesus is the living bread that restores us and gives us new life. Jesus is the living bread that restores us and gives us new life. Fourth and finally, Jesus is the daily bread that resurrects us onto eternal life from verses 52 through 59. On this Labor Day weekend, I pray this word would be a helpful reminder of the purpose and goals of our lives. And I pray that this word will remind you afresh the hope and joy we have when Jesus is our source our motivation, and the reason for all of our labors. Amen? So let's read from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59, which says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Amen. The point of the passage is clear. It's repeated over and over again in this passage, is it not? Jesus is the bread of life. But what does that mean? That Jesus is the bread of life, and why does it matter to us? Because who Jesus is has everything to do with who we are. So point number one, Jesus is the food that redefines our work. Jesus is the food That redefines our work from verses 22 through 29. Look at verse 22. Again, it says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. I want to just encourage you again. uh, When I point you to the text, be sure to have your Bibles open and follow along with the Bible because it will keep you from being bored. Okay? So open up your Bibles, follow along with me, Uh, Because there's a lot of verses to cover. Okay? If you look at the passage before the text, at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, you can quickly see through the headings uh, of of the Bible that Jesus had performed two great signs. In verses uh, 1 through 15, the fourth sign, the feeding of 5,000 men, which the total number of people actually would have added up to approximately 10 to uh, 15,000 people in total, given that women and children were not counted in this number. And in verses 16 through 21, the fifth sign is the miracle of Jesus walking on water. And through these signs, Jesus was showing himself to be the new and greater Moses who would feed his people in the desert, who would lead his people through the sea. You see, his authority was far greater than Moses, who by God's command split the Red Sea, right? That was the reading for today that Philip was describing. But what these signs show is that Jesus is far above and greater than Moses. He walks above the sea to rescue His people. You see, this sign was a picture. It was a microcosm. It was a sign pointing to the reality of who Jesus was not a mere man, not a mere prophet, you see, but the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Amen. So in these verses 22 through 24, we read that the crowd, not a random crowd, not a new crowd, but the crowd that remained who had just been fed through the miraculous work of Jesus, that crowd. And verse 23 through 25 confirms that this was indeed that crowd. Look at verses 20 through 25. It says, "...the other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus." And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Of course, they had no idea that Jesus had walked across the sea in the middle of the night. That's why they didn't see another boat there. But they were seeking Jesus. Perhaps they gotten hungry again. Perhaps they thought to themselves, uh, we got free dinner last night, and we're hungry now, so maybe we'll get another free meal. So Jesus, reading them like a book, he responds to their question. Look at verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What Jesus was saying was, you didn't understand the signs. You didn't understand the deeper meaning of what those signs pointed to. You are merely seeking me because your stomachs were filled and you wanted it to be filled again. And Jesus always straightforward and to the point offers a corrective in verse 27. Look at verse 27. He says to them, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus was saying to them, I know what you came here for. I know what you live for. You live and work for food to get your stomach filled. But Jesus was saying, Jesus was teaching them, Jesus was challenging them, there is more to life than just that. Whatever sustenance you work so hard for, don't do it for food that will rot and perish, but work for food that endures to eternal life. Now listen carefully, think with me correctly. Jesus is not saying don't eat. Jesus is not saying don't enjoy delicious meals. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to get hungry and work for food, to get your physical needs met. Jesus is saying don't let your life be just about that. Remember, it's Jesus who just fed a crowd of the thousands in verses 1 through 15. Remember, it's Jesus who fed them so well that they were leftovers, 12 baskets full of bread and fish. It said in verse 11 and 12 that they ate as much as they wanted and they had eaten their full. They were so happy from eating so well that they even praised Jesus as the prophet who has come into the world. So... Understand, there is no lack of compassion on Jesus' part toward the crowd who had come seeking for more food. But now that Jesus had met their physical needs, Jesus was showing them their greater need, their true lack. He was bringing light of their spiritual need, you see. Jesus was teaching them there is more to life than working for earthly food. He says, work for food that endures to eternal life. But what does Jesus mean by that? He explains in verses 28 through 29, which says this. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus explains, in order to work for food that endures to eternal life, the work that God The Father Himself has set His seal, His approval. What is that work? It is simply to believe in Him whom God has sent. Brothers and sisters, get this very, very clearly. Our work is nothing other than to believe in Him. In these simple verses, Jesus redefines the purpose of our labor, does He not? It's not merely to get our stomachs filled Jesus says it so clearly and straightforwardly that our work is to believe in Him, in Him whom God has sent. This is food that won't perish. This is food that will endure to eternal life. Now, some of you may question or argue, isn't Christianity supposed to be about salvation by faith alone, not by works? Yet here, Jesus, the master of our faith, declares that believing on Him is the highest and greatest of all works. Listen, follow me carefully, okay? Man asks, what must I do? Jesus says, believe in what God has done. Man asks, what must I do? Jesus says, believe in what God has done. And that is exactly the invitation Jesus gives us today. Believe in Him whom God has sent. You're hungry. You're dissatisfied. You're distracted. You're not happy. You're all messed up inside. You're seeking for something to fill you up. You're looking over here. You're looking over there. You're looking to yourself. This church, that church, this friend, that friend, this pastor, that pastor, this job, that job, tired, weary, discouraged, lonely, hungry, self Pity, insecurity. Jesus says, simply believe in me. Brothers and sisters, do you find yourself seeking this afternoon? Do you find yourself scrolling, Google searching mindlessly day after day, something to fill your stomach? And are you left wanting and lacking? Some of you stumbling across things you shouldn't and left bitter and weary? Simply put, you eat junk food and how do you feel? Terrible. You eat rot and what happens to you? You get sick and you throw up. It doesn't feel good. Some of you have prioritized your work too much, too highly, and you're exhausted. People around you are upset with you, or maybe people around you don't even know how to get close to you because you find yourself, you make yourself isolated and alone. You are frustrated. Your priorities are off. Jesus says clearly, simply, work for food that matters. Work for food that endures. Invest, toil, and labor for what is really significant. Jesus says, I am the food that will matter to the end. Let Him define your work. Let Him define your purpose. Jesus is the food that redefines your work. Seek Him and find Him today. Amen? The rest of the passage is really about how we can do this, how Jesus gives meaning to our work in our lives. So let's move on to the next point. Point number two, what does it mean? Jesus is the bread of life. Who is Jesus? And what does it have to do with me? Point number two, Jesus is the new manna that reveals God's will. Verses 30 through 40. Uh, Verse 29 hinted at it, but verses 30 through 40 cannot be more explicit. You will see the phrase over and over again repeated, the will of him. The will of the Father repeated several times in this section. Verse 38, for example, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father. So for anyone who came seeking this afternoon, asking what is God's will? God, what is your will for my life? Here's the answer. Don't miss it. Now these verses uh, we have before us, according to J.C. Ryle, is one of the most remarkable passages in all of the Gospels. He says, none perhaps of our Lord's discourses has occasioned more controversy and has been more misunderstood than that which we find in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. In the following verses, what you see is a paradox of man's confounding unbelief and God's unrelenting commitment and compassion on his people. Look at verse 30. So they said to him, what sign then do you do? that we may see and believe in you. What work do you perform? You see, these verses show us how depraved men are in their unbelief. It shows us the spiritual ignorance of the natural man. You see, that's why these verses are emphasizing the point, the crowd, the same crowd who had just experienced a great sign were asking, what signs do you do? That we may see and believe in you. What work do you perform? That same crowd yesterday who has eaten their fill and were praising Jesus, they ask, what signs do you do? What work do you perform? It proves the point, doesn't it? It's such a clear picture of the spiritual reality that man in himself cannot possibly understand God. That man in himself cannot conjure faith. That you can be in the physical presence of Jesus. You can experience his miracles. You can be amid a crowd of people who are seeking him. He can be right before your eyes, yet you can be still so lost. Fresh from the mighty miracle, one might think they had a sign that was sufficient enough to convince them. Taught by Jesus himself, one might expect a greater readiness to believe, but as Ryle says, there are simply just no limits to man's dullness and prejudice and unbelief regarding spiritual matters. It is a striking fact that the only thing which our Lord is said to have marveled at during his entire earthly ministry was man's unbelief, according to Mark chapter 6. Verse 6. Sign after sign, miracle after miracle, teaching after teaching, Jesus showed himself to be the Messiah sufficiently, perfectly, divinely, that he is indeed the Son of God. Yet people were so blind to see the will of God and deaf to hear the truth of God. So for any of you thinking in this room today, if only I can see Jesus with my own eyes, then I would believe Here's an example of the masses who literally saw Jesus with their own eyes, yet did not or could not believe. To make it applicable to you and me, you can be at church, you can be sitting in this room, singing the songs, praying the prayers, yet still not believe. So I'm asking you the question do you believe today? You can have experiences with God, yet still not be a Christian. You may feel yourselves poor, weak, sinners, but the question is, do you believe? You may fail and come short in many things, but the question is, do you believe? Do you believe right now in this moment? How can you believe? Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, faith comes not by seeing. As Pastor Jeremy preached last week, seeing is not believing. But belief is the will of God and the work of God. Of Christ. That's the point. Jesus says to them in verse 32 through 33, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, speaking to the crowd of Jews who relied on their works, their laws, who looked to Moses for salvation, He responds to them, Can't you see Moses? And the laws and your works are not the answer. Your good deeds won't get you to God. Your good works will never satisfy you. Your labors will never be enough. But God gives you true bread from heaven. Manna gave them physical sustenance temporarily. But the true God, true bread of God gives new life to the world you see. Manna was simply a shadow of what was to come. Manna in the desert was pointing to a greater reality that was to come. The new and greater manna is He, Jesus, whom God sends from heaven. The better and satisfying manna that will never perish and endure unto eternal life. Verse 34 sadly shows us how they responded. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Of course, like many of us, whenever we hear that something is good, we naturally want it really bad, right? So that's why they're saying, sir, give us this bread always. Give it to me now. Give it to me tomorrow. Give it to me always. But we'll see in a little bit whether the crowd's motives were genuine or not. And Jesus simply says, you don't understand what you're asking for. But the emphasis of this section is actually Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't hold back any longer. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here in this verse is the first saying of Christ about himself. I am the bread of life. What Jesus said of himself was deeply theological, friends. The I am of Israel's history and the Old Testament When Moses of the Old Testament, hundreds of years before, asks in Exodus 3, If I come to my people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And here, in our passage, through the seven I am sayings in John... Jesus not only fulfills, Jesus not only completes, but he expounds that answer. This is the mystery hidden for ages, now revealed. I am the one sent by God, your fathers. I am he come down from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus understands that the soul of every man is famished and starving because of sin. And Jesus wants us to know that he himself is the appointed food for man's thirsty and hungry souls. And he is saying, I am given by God the Father to be the satisfier, the reliever, and the physician of man's spiritual need. So get this clearly, brothers and sisters. In Jesus alone, our souls find their wants supplied. In Jesus alone, there is life. Friends, here is a profound mystery that the holy God of the universe would send his only begotten son for you and me. Here is God's evidence that our salvation has nothing to do with us but God's love and compassion for his children. Here is Jesus' invitation for you. Do you know, do you have such spiritual hunger? Do you feel anything of this craving and emptiness in your heart? Well, it's God's supernatural work working in you. May you come to him today. May you surrender to him today and believe that in Christ alone, you can be relieved and supplied of every need. Come to him by faith at his word. Believe on him and commit your life into his hand. Here is a promise, brothers and sisters, that he has proved over and over and over again throughout the generations. Here is a testimony that all believers of Jesus Christ sitting next to you throughout this hall can testify. Whoever, anyone, everyone who would come to him shall not hunger. Whoever, anyone, everyone who believes in him shall never thirst. Amen? Jesus has not kept himself from this world. Jesus gave himself fully to this world. He showed himself plainly. He spoke very clearly. He provided sufficient evidence time after time throughout his earthly ministry. Yet we see in verse 36, what was true then, still true today. It says in verse 36, But I said to you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. You see, in these verses, despite the natural tendency of man to not see and to not believe, these verses provide for us a great hope about the truth of our faith and God's sovereign will. Even though they didn't believe, look at what Jesus offers to them, verses 37 through 38. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. What amazing promise to cling to for you and me in times of need and lack in times of crisis. We can come to him because he has come to us. Amen? We can come to him because he has come to us. Jesus is the will of God made known to us. Jesus is the new manna come down from heaven to reveal God's will to us. I love that Jesus explains that all who come to him will not be cast out. Can I repeat the biblical phrase in verse 37, all, again in verse 37, whoever. In verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all. Because that is indeed the basis of our gospel proclamation and evangelism. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, anyone and everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life, according to John 3, 16. And all who believe in the sovereignty of God, who holds to a high view of God, must certainly understand that God only knows and what he means when he says all which is the confidence that we have when we share the gospel with others that God can save even the vilest and the most wretched repenting sinner amen and in the next verses Jesus clarifies and explains how it all works how his coming to us is the initiative in which we can come to him so how does who Jesus is impact who we are and what we do point number three Jesus is the living bread that restores us and gives us new life. Jesus is the living bread that restores us and gives us new life. Verses 41 through 51. Look with me to 41 through 43. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters. The parallel is very intentional and specific. Uh, Jennifer just read us the Exodus passage. We find the Jews here in this same exact situation, grumbling then and grumbling still. You see, these verses are the perfect portrayal of humanity and our spiritual blindness, our spiritual deadness. Our constant tendency to doubt God and rationalize what can't be over what simply is. Our tendency to be so quick to blame God when we are struggling, when all we do is doubt God and mock God and turn our backs to God. But the point and the impact of these verses are again clear. In God's sending of Jesus, in Jesus coming to us, He is drawing us to come to Him in order that we may be saved and have new life. Look at verses 44 through 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So again, today, if you hear His voice, do not Harden your hearts as in the rebellion, brothers and sisters, friends. Jesus is calling you. Jesus has drawn near to you. Do you understand verse 46? Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. What Jesus is saying is Jesus is the only one from God. Jesus is the only way to God. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear. It's the basis of Christianity and the undeniable historical reality that Jesus came to earth to save sinners like you and me. Why did Jesus come? Because although God created us in His image to glorify Him and enjoy Him, to rely on Him, we chose to be gods unto ourselves. We chose sin and rebelled against God and chose to forge our own paths to heaven. And every religion of this world is actually exactly the same. It's man's effort, it's man's work, it's man's labor to reach God or some sort of God-like status. But our work, but man's labor is never enough. Our labor is futile and insufficient to repair the broken relationship with God and bridge the gap of the eternal separation that was placed between the holy God and sinful man like you and I. Scripture shows we are all infected by sin's disease and there is no cure in ourselves. That's exactly why Jesus was God's plan of redemption from the very beginning in order for us to know His amazing grace and love. That Jesus would live our substitute life and die our substitute death on the cross. He died to pay for the punishment and the price of our sins the sentence of God's judgment, Jesus fully took upon himself on the cross, was the great exchange. Our unrighteousness on Jesus and his perfect righteousness imputed to us. We were fully forgiven of our sins and we are fully atoned from our broken relationship with God because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. He died. He was buried. History cannot deny this fact. But that's not the end of the story, is it? God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, which meant that Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death forever, which is the reason why we're talking about Jesus today for the past 2,000 years and gathering together as believers every single Sunday. Why? Because Jesus is alive today. Amen? Jesus has ascended into heaven and sits on God's throne as the sovereign king of the universe, and he invites all. He invites everyone who would come to him so that they may have new and everlasting life today and forever. Today, we believe and hope in him by faith, but on that day when Jesus returns, our faith, the scripture says, will turn to sight. The Bible says every knee, every single person in this world, their knees will bow and every tongue will confess when they see Jesus breaking through the clouds, they will confess Jesus is the Lord. So friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, We pray that this service has been encouraging to you. But let me ask you this question. I wonder if you are drawn here today by a spiritual hunger to know and see Jesus whom the Father has sent for you. This is God's will for you that you believe in Him. Surrender to Him today. Stop laboring for food that perishes. It will never be enough. Let Christ Jesus rectify your broken and empty life and satisfy your every need. Repent of your sins this afternoon. Confess of your need of Him today. Believe and trust in Him with your whole life this moment. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, I'll be standing in the back door at the close of service, or you could talk to somebody next to you who's smiling at you, eager to talk to you about how to follow Jesus. And dear beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, can I also remind you, if you came here tired and weary and lacking in faith, be encouraged to know that when we come to Him, we will never we will never, we will never be cast out. No matter how dark your past has been, no matter how dim and dull your present path may seem, your future is bright. And it's certain Jesus will lose none that the Father has given him. If you come to him and believe on him, no matter how low you feel like you sunk, no matter how far you feel like you strayed, Jesus welcomes you with open arms ready to comfort you, ready to fill you up, ready to quench your thirst. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amen? But that's not all. Jesus says, I will raise you up on the last day. Jesus says, in me you have no lack. Jesus says, in me you have sure hope. What encouraging And soul-uplifting words, these are. Look at verse 47 through 49. For anyone who needs a reminder, look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. You see, brothers and sisters, your believing is not your own doing. It is God's work through Jesus. He has gifted you with salvation in Jesus. So eat of him and die not. Eat of him and be raised to life. Our physical death for the Christian is not the end. It's only the beginning. So what shall we fear? Nothing. But there is more blessing. Point number four, who is Jesus and why does it matter? Shorter point. Final point. Jesus is the daily bread that resurrects us unto eternal life. Jesus goes deeper. The following verses are some of the most hardest in the scriptures. Look at these words attentively. Look at verse 51 through 56. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. these words of Jesus are what throws the crowd into turmoil and conflict and dispute, in verse 52. And a failure to understand these words are the very reason why so many disciples turn their backs and no longer walk with Jesus, in verse 66. It's the cause of much of the disciples' grumbling, in verse 61. So listen carefully. A misunderstanding of these verses Is the reason why so many So-called professing Christians Turn away from the faith today By the droves It's the reason why so many faiths Are deconstructed in light of the raging Cultural wars against Christ And Christianity today It's the reason why so many Self-professing Christian churches Are divided in conflict today So, what does Jesus mean? Whoever feeds on my flesh And drinks my blood Has eternal life Is this why some people, when I write, he has risen on Easter Sunday on Facebook, they say, zombie Jesus? Is Jesus promoting some sort of cannibalism or some weird mystical religion? Eat my flesh and drink my blood? Well, for the sake of time, let me just get to the point. Because there are so many theories and false explanations and misunderstanding of these verses. Mainly... Is Jesus referring to the Lord's Supper? That is a question that comes up in this debate. Was this Jesus' way of teaching his disciples about the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine? The answer simply is no. It couldn't be that the Lord's Supper is salvific. If what Jesus means by eating his flesh and drinking his cup is referring to Lord's Supper, verse 54 would not make sense. It would be as the Roman Catholics view that the ordinances are required or necessary for salvation. Scripture clearly teaches salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So, what Jesus was teaching about was the spiritual reality of the privilege that we have as the children of God to feast on Him. Who God Himself sent as the anointed sacrificial lamb to be slaughtered on the cross as a substitute for the forgiveness of our sins, for the payment of our redemption, for the security deposit of our salvation. That's what this text means and is pointing to. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb in whose broken body and spill blood cleanses us from all and every sin simply what these verses are showing us, the spiritual reality that Jesus is the greater Passover lamb, that Jesus is the greater Passover. What can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you and I whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not only that, here is Jesus' invitation for persevering, sustaining power. Feast on me. Feed on me, the bread of life. Drink from me, the living water. Never be hungry again. Never be thirsty again. So many Christians struggle today because they simply will not come and eat, nor come and drink. Just as physically we need sustenance regularly, spiritually we must feast on Jesus, the true bread. We must drink of Jesus, the living water, day after day after day after day because it is only in Him and through Him we will persevere unto eternal life. That's what Jesus means. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The Lord's Supper we are about to take is a monthly reminder of Jesus' broken body and spilt blood for you. It is a reminder that you, as a believer, are not alone. That we, as covenanted members of this local church, are in this together. As I conclude, hear these words of exhortation from J.C. Ryle again. And now, let us take heed ourselves and make sure that we are among those who eat the bread of God and live. Let us not be content with lazy waiting, but let us actually come to Christ and eat the bread of life and believe to the saving of our souls. The Jews could say, give us this bread always, but it may be feared that they went no further. Let us never rest until by faith we have eaten this bread and can say, Jesus Christ is mine. I have tasted that the Lord is gracious and good And I know and feel that I am his. Who is Jesus and how does he change our lives? Jesus is the food that redefines our work. Jesus is the new manna that reveals God's will. Jesus is the living bread that restores us and gives us new life. And Jesus is the daily sustaining bread that resurrects us to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray.